0: Hi and welcome to the Making the Media podcast. My name is Craig Wilson. I'm your host. Thanks a lot for joining us. Much of the media is dominated by well-established brands, some public and some commercial, who have been part of our lives for many years. It's a tough market to enter, build a brand, establish a loyal audience who trusts you and continue to deliver high quality and often expensive journalism. One organisation which has been successful in building a distinctive brand on multiple platforms and staying true to their overriding ethos is Vice Media Group. And so my guest for this episode is Moral Youssefi, who is their Vice President of News and Editorial Operations. So how do they operate? How have they built their brand? What's the role of online, social, streaming channels and even newsletters? And how do they stay in tune with their audience and expand that audience too? In our discussion, we'll talk about fast channels. Now, if you haven't heard about them, these are free-to-air, advertising-funded streaming TV channels, which are gaining a lot of attention right now for their ease of setup and ease of access to the audience. Morale is a multiple award winner for her work. She studied journalism at college in Missouri and worked in local television in California, then moved on to some of the major cable networks. Here, she outlines how her career developed from that point to ending up at Vice Media.
1: I started getting um, a bit bored with cable, to be honest. It became very cyclical, and so I looked for different challenges. You know, I went to CNN and started a morning show with Soledad O'Brien that Tried to break the mold and get a little bit more in depth, uh, which was really my interest area. And, you know, that was canceled, (laughs) which was unfortunate, but it made me realize kind of what I wanted to do. So I I went through a series of kind of launches after that, went to Al Jazeera America and helped launch that network and did the morning show there. And then when that network uh, fell apart, the opportunity at Vice came up and it became sort of this perfect opportunity at the time because it was really about... Homing in on what matters and more of a curation of the news than the constant news cycle, which was very appealing to me, both schedule-wise and uh, journalism-wise. And that's where I've been since. So I've been here for six years and we came on to launch uh, Vice News Tonight on HBO. And that was a really interesting experiment. I think it was Kind of a groundbreaker at the time. Uh, no one was really doing the kind of journalism that we were doing on that show, I would say, uh, where you were sort of turning very quick turn documentaries four nights a week. And that has now evolved to Vice News Tonight, which is two nights a week on Vice TV, which is our own platform. Uh, and that has leaned in even more into single-topic documentaries, hour-long documentaries, really uh, embracing the kind of long form that Vice is known for, and in our kind of topic areas. So I've been here for six years.
0: An interesting path to, to 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 get to to get to where you got to. Um so when you when you joined Vice, you, you spoke there about you know some of the attraction of of why you wanted to go there. But can you talk a little bit about the program that you were first involved with? And how from that, you maybe took that experience to then, you know, go into other things.
1: Yeah, that first program was really one giant experiment. Um, We put together this amazing team and really interestingly pulled together a newsroom from all walks of life. We had a lot of magazine writers, people who had never worked in television, people from the podcasting world, people from newspapers. Um, and then some sprinkled in from TV and what was really valuable was bringing kind of everyone's experiences to the table and what mattered to them and then we really experimented I mean we did so many pilots of that show and everyone weighed in um and that was interesting because you really started to see what does this age group you know Vice has a target audience obviously we're much more Uh, we're a youth media company and we very much care about kind of locking down that audience and making sure that they know that we are the ones delivering what they want. And so that kind of focus group of our staff, knowing like, this is what I want to watch, looking at the pilots and saying, that's not interesting, um, or this is not paced fast enough. So everything from the look of it to the content in it um, really went through months and months of changes and tweaks and adjustments and until we were happy with what we had. And, you know, even over the three, four years that the show was on the air, it, it greatly evolved because the world evolved and the type of news we covered evolved. And we had to really start to think about honing down those core authority areas even more right what was our audience actually interested in what could we really deliver that was differentiated and i think that has kind of set the stage for what we do now really well that differentiation that vice has that people know what they will get when they come to us and we are not um you know we're not in the mix of the cable world or the nightly news world and I think that that would be a real danger for us to attempt to be. And so I think that was the real lesson learned is this is what your product is. Keep refining that product until you really stand out from the crowd, because we're just not big enough as a news organization, frankly, to to compete in the CNN, MSNBC, ABC Nightly News kind of playground.
0: Well, maybe come on to talk a little bit more about the the kind of content that you you make in a a little bit. But one one bit I'm interested in is a lot of people we've spoken to on the podcast, by necessity as much as anything else, come from fairly well-established broadcasters. You know, they've been around for for a long time. They're well-known players in the market. Whereas advice, I guess a lot of what you're trying to do is to to build and establish the, the, the brand. And I'm interested in how you think you've achieved that.
1: I think we've come a long way and I think we still have a long way to go. I think that we do have a core audience that likes us and comes to us regularly. You know, we have, I think, 8 million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, The HBO show did well, but certainly not well enough. You know, they did cancel it. We have a great uh, partnership with Showtime right now and we have a platform in Vice TV. But I think none of those um, kind of traditional spaces that we are airing our content are doing as well as we'd like. So I think that, you know, that's why for us, it's been really important to kind of diversify our platforms. That's where social media comes in to kind of build that audience. That's where all of our kind of plays into the documentary world in terms of being a production house plays into building an audience. So I think that we have come a long way in building kind of brand integrity, but, you know, when you are a youth media company, the youth kind of move on very quickly (laughs) to the next new thing. And that is, I think, always our biggest challenge to grow with that audience. And I think the only way to do that is be very, very immersed in the culture. I think that's why it's probably more critical for us than anyone else to make sure that our staff reflects the culture, because otherwise you become kind of these old dinosaurs, right? Who don't know what the youth want. And we are very, very cognizant of that. Um, and cognizant of then evolving our product, making sure that we are meeting the audience where they are. That's why TikTok is so important right now, though it makes us no money. Um, and and kind of making sure that we are sort of prescient about what's happening. I think that's a really core part of Vice's brand overall, because I think that is how you sustain a youth media model.
0: Yeah, one of the things, again, that we've, we've spoken to other people about is being a, a kind of trusted brand, I guess, is one thing. But the, the way that you're talking there, the other thing I would say about a youth brand is if you're seen as inauthentic, that's almost as bad as, as being seen as someone who's, who's, who can't be trusted.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that was a big discussion when we launched the HBO show originally was how do we come off as authentic in every way? And so that was something as small as not having a host. Right. We had no host because that felt like such a trope that, you know, the traditional anchor in a chair or behind a desk delivering you the news uh, that wasn't going to fly with this audience. And, you know, we again hired correspondents who wore their own clothes, who didn't wear makeup, who, you know, really went out into the world as they were and used their own voice. All of that, while it seems kind of small helped lend to a really authentic experience and everything from, you know, making sure everything we wrote felt like something someone would say, everything we captured on camera felt like the correspondent was actually immersed in it and living it just like the audience watching it. So we're very, very aware of that because it's true. Anytime we've kind of veered from that, we've experimented with having a host and have been called out for it. Right. Um, as soon as this audience sniffs out in authenticity, they call you out on it. And I think that's really interesting. And I think if people are listening, that's actually another kind of touch point where you can realize, oh, you know what? We tried something, they called us out on it. It didn't work. Let's move away from that. So I think it's actually an interesting feedback loop too when you do try things um, to get that instant feedback from an audience.
0: I mean, I guess you also have to have a core of values though about the kind yes. of things that you want to cover it's. It, I, I completely get what you're saying that you have to listen to the audience but you still have to have you know this is the core of who we are and what we're about but before absolutely. going to try and achieve anything else
1: absolutely and I think again you know if you look at the media landscape a lot of us cover the same things it's just sort of How we cover those same things. And I think that's where we are making sure that we meet our audience. You know, we have authority areas that we really believe in global trafficking, criminal justice, climate change, extremism. These are vices, you know, core coverage areas. But how we attack them is really what sets us apart because you see everyone covering those same things. And to me, it becomes a matter of, you know, we aren't going to go do a two minute piece on extremism in the military. We're going to spend two years really embedding and immersing ourselves in that topic and putting out a documentary about it. Um, So not having to chase the news cycle, I think lets us really, really focus on what our values are, which are bringing in context, bringing in access, bringing in an immersive experience that people haven't seen anywhere else. So, you know, at our base level, we are all journalists, and that is you know, the very bottom thing that informs everything, right? Like our, our ethics, our values, how we approach what stories we cover, that is the base for everything. And then from there, we build. We build what stories we cover. We talk extensively and exhaustively about how we cover each story because not everything deserves the same treatment, right? Um, and then how that will kind of play with our audience. So I think being aware of all those things at once is is how we've been able to kind of differentiate what we do.
0: It's is also part of it giving your audience credence for their their intelligence. I think there was a theory a few years ago that everything online, everything will be done in news. It's going to be dumbed down. It's going to become shorter. But I, I believe that some of the evidence actually is, is the, the the counter the counter of that that actually the kind of documentary longer form packages are actually things where because you get the analytics, you can actually see how things perform.
1: That's absolutely true. And it's something we actually talk about from the get-go, right? We talk about our approach to a topic, what our angle to that topic is. And then in the script writing, you know, I definitely recall having those conversations at other places where it's like, you know, we need to write at an eighth grade level or we need to really, pare down to make sure that everyone understands what we're talking about that is not our audience we never ever talk down to our audience and i think it would be a mistake to do so we approach them as we approach ourselves again it's what am i interested in how can i relay this in the most interesting most smart way possible and we go from there because we have found that to be true the things that we put um, on YouTube, for example, that are short, snippy, and kind of cover just sort of the survey layer of a story do very poorly. Um, and then when we put up the same topic area, but it's a 44-minute documentary, those do really well. Because I think there is this like desire for depth in this generation and the younger generations. Because they have grown up with noise all around them, right? They've grown up with cable everywhere. They've grown up with social media everywhere. Everyone has an opinion. They've grown up with the Twitter. So it's all the noise that exists around you. And I think what we try to do is really say, okay, this is what we want to tell you. We will go in depth and let you give, give you the context, give you the access. And this is what you need to know, right? So I think that it really helps to be able to do that to break through the noise. And I think that's how you build that trust. They know that we're not talking about a one minute piece on criminal justice. You can't cover criminal justice in one minute. Um, We're talking about something that really matters, that really is in depth in the topics that they care about.
0: But you also mentioned earlier on that you know, as well as the 44-minute documentary, you are using other forms of social media. You referred to to, to TikTok, we've spoken about about Twitter. So how important are these other social media platforms as a way of getting the message out about Vice and then driving content to your own platform?
1: Well, I think that that's really, again, an example of meeting the audience where they are. We really saw our Vice World News and Vice News TikTok accounts just blow up overnight with the war in Ukraine. And that was because our correspondents were on the ground, literally broadcasting things as they happened, the air sirens in town. And again, it goes back to that very authentic way. They were experiencing the air sirens on the ground and relaying it in this very relatable, like, holy I'm here. And this is very real kind of way. And so I think that you know, it's critical for us to be on that, those platforms, but it's very critical to tailor what we are doing on those platforms to what makes sense for those audiences, right? We're not going to put up a documentary on TikTok that's 44 minutes long. It doesn't make any sense, but we are going to pull out the most important parts of our reporting and be able to relay that. So it's still differentiated and it's still our in-depth reporting. And ideally we kind of always push back to. Everything else we do as well.
0: How then are you organized? And, and what I mean by that is literally in the newsroom. You know, how do you work out who's doing who's doing what and and and, and how things go? Because y- you mentioned earlier on, you're not a large organization in comparison to, to to some of the your kind of other competitors, I guess, in the market.
1: We are better organized than ever, and still have a long way to go. <laughs> Both of those can be true. So you know, we really are split up into kind of broadcast and digital. And we make different contents. The broadcasting generally makes the TV content, right? We make Vice News Tonight, we make Showtime, we make a slew of documentaries and series and features that we then kind of uh, sell or have co-productions. And then we have our digital news arm. And our digital news arm is the one that kind of does all the TikTok, the social digital video series so those two sort of exist a bit independently but at the same time what we've really tried to do and you'll see this in a lot of newsrooms because of you know the the times that we're living in everyone is making sure that everything that they spend money on can be used across multiple platforms and that's really where we've come together to make sure that deployments, for example, to Ukraine or to Lebanon are being used in every way. We have a documentary, we have a Vice News Tonight piece, we have a piece for Showtime. Then we also have our TikTok content and our Instagram content from that same deployment. So what's been really great and why I say we're more organized than ever is that over the last couple of years, we've really made an attempt for the leadership across broadcast and digital to come together and make editorial decisions together. And from the outset, uh, what we would found, what we found in a lot of instances in the past is that they were so siloed that we were sending people to the same place, covering the same story, one for digital, one for TV. And obviously that makes no financial sense. That makes no editorial sense. And so I think bringing those teams together, which has been easier because we are a smaller operation, you know, our leadership team is 10 people um, who talk every day and that is certainly easier to do than a cnn for example across multiple time zones hundreds upon hundreds of people making decisions and outputting a lot more in real time certainly so i think the kind of um, curation that we do and the type of content that we put out and the sort of scale and timeline with which we put it out has all made a difference to make that easier probably for us than it is for others but it has made a real difference um we feel that it's just, it feels more organized. It feels better for the audience. We are giving the sort of same messaging and we're saving money too.
0: Yeah. Another another way that I know you're looking at, at getting content out is through the use of things like fast channels. So I wonder yeah. if you talk a little bit about what your view is of, of fast channels and how they could be used.
1: So we've had a vice fast channel for a few years, and that is largely our kind of entertainment content that existed on our former Vice Land TV channel and our Vice TV channel. On November 1st, we launched our Vice News Fast channel, which we're really, um, we see that as a real opportunity to put out content. Right now we're populating it with a lot of the content we've made in the last couple years, years, uh, which is hundreds of hours of series, of documentaries, of features, of short form. And what we're experimenting with is what will happen when we put out new content on Fast? Um, What will happen when we premiere content on Fast? What will happen when we put out maybe live content on Fast? And I think that what we're hoping for is an ecosystem that kind of mirrors the internet, right? Mirrors maybe YouTube views because right now we have hundreds of millions of people watching Vice content on YouTube that we don't really monetize. And so Fast feels like, a place where we can mirror that and hopefully make some money off of it. And I think that, you know, we haven't seen any data really around fast. We haven't monetized it yet, certainly, but we know that it's a place we need to be and we want to be there from the get-go, right? You know, that you never want to be late to the party. (laughs) And so, you know, we want to make that investment now. So I think we really do see an opportunity, but it's a little bit of a wait and see um, because we just don't have the data to know yet.
0: I get the sense from a lot of the things that you've said, Maral, that one of the things that Vice would encourage is experimentation. Would you say that's a fair kind of characterization for how, the, how you operate?
1: Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, I encourage that on a daily basis and would love to do more of it. Because again, as a youth brand, if we're not constantly evolving, if we're not constantly changing, we use the term breaking the news a lot here. Um, as our kind of brand mantra, because we don't want to be 20 years down the road and our product still looking the same and our platform still being the same, because that's not going to get us anywhere, right? As a young, small company, we need to constantly be the leaders and setting the stage of what's the next new thing, what's the next best thing. And the thing with experimentation, I think where there is a hesitation among some of the larger legacy companies is, it can be expensive and it might not work. (laughs) And there is a real risk to that when you have advertisers already locked in for millions of dollars, for example, on your nightly news show. Um, And so I get it, right? I get why those companies may not be willing to experiment as radically as we are, but that's kind of our luxury. Um, We really try to go out of the box as often as possible. How can we break this model? How can we break this mold? How can we bring something that's new and different? And if it doesn't work, you know, we try the next thing.
0: You, we've talked a lot about kind of newer technologies. Well, one thing I was really interested about, one of the, the technologies that Vice uses is newsletters, which in yeah. many ways is a very old technology. Yeah. So I, I, again, I'm interested in that. Why, why choose to use newsletters? I mean, I know you're not alone in doing it, but it's just an interesting <laughs> approach.
1: I feel like we're definitely not alone in doing it. There are a million newsletters now. My inbox is littered with them. It's interesting. You're right. It's such an old school model, but I think it kind of comes back to that curation, right? It comes back to, I have subscribed to this newsletter from a voice that I trust, from a voice that I know will not litter it with other people's crap. Um, And so I think that's why it's been successful. You know, we're very... Particular about what goes out in our newsletters. You know, we have our Breaking the Vote newsletter that's very, you know, narrowly focused on election news that is um, set apart from just sort of the horse race and covering every state. We certainly don't do that, it's very voicey. And I would say that of all of our newsletters, our Motherboard newsletter is phenomenal, right? they break so many stories in the tech world and that newsletter is dedicated to that so i think you see that and you're like i really love motherboard stuff i'm going to subscribe to their newsletter and i'm no i'm going to get a capsule of five stories that i've never seen anywhere else um and i think that's the appeal but i honestly was surprised from the get go that newsletters were doing as well as they are but i think it's also another example of being in the game right there are definitely things that we don't want to avoid just because other people are doing them too right we need to be there and we just try to make sure that our voice is at least differentiated in those spaces
0: yeah another question i wanted to ask around is 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 demographics and your audience because i guess the the audience and the brand you you talked a little bit about this early on it's kind of relatively well defined but i am guess part of what you also try and do is kind of go beyond that and to expand a little bit of the demographics so maybe talk a little bit about your traditional audience is, and and maybe some ways that you're trying to attract new?
1: Well, I mean, I think our our base audience is kind of the 18 to 34. Um, Vice is heavily male, and we've tried to do a lot to kind of bring females more into the fold with our content. Um, But I think the unique thing with us is that's the core audience, but our platforms are not necessarily that audience. Uh, that's certainly the audience for YouTube and even younger for TikTok and Instagram. But you know, we have a partnership with Showtime for a documentary series. That audience is not 18 to 34. And so being able to capture that with good journalism and journalism that they care about, now that's slightly different because Showtime is also a subscription model. Um, and so they have different financial goals for our series than, say, our Vice News Tonight series, which is on linear cable. Uh, Vice TV's median audience age is pretty significantly lower than other cable news networks, but it's still in that late 40s, early 50s, which is pretty far outside of our core target audience. And that actually, I would say, has been our challenge. How do we make the content that we say is for this youth youth demographic um, while being a youth media company, but still making it relevant enough that our linear cable audience also wants to watch it? And same thing with Fast. Fast is programmed in a linear way. And so while we hope the audience mirrors YouTube, we're not sure that it will, and it easily could wind up being an older audience. And so it's tricky. It's very tricky for vice news tonight. It has been things as simple as what is the look and feel of it? What's the music selection? What's the rapper look like? Um, To be able to get us to the field pieces that are kind of our, our core content. Um, And so, you know, we constantly tweak that. I don't think we've been a hundred percent successful in that because it's such a wide gap and those audiences are so wildly different that bringing them together feels impossible some days.
0: It's also, it's, it's a tough market. You know, it's a tough market for audience, wherever you are. Um, There's there's a phrase that I hear some people use where they they talk about low hanging fruit in certain opportunities. I don't think there's ever actually easy low hanging fruit in in kind of anything. Um, And I guess we've seen, with you know other um online news providers that it, it's a very very difficult market to establish yourself as a brand and then generate the revenues that that necessitate um it is because journalism is expensive you know we yes. can't hide away from the fact you require people to do it you talked about documentaries that perhaps take a year two years to to go off and to and to produce so I guess that sits behind everything. Well you have your journalistic integrity that are commercial realities that you still have to deal with
1: absolutely and i think that's where we've really tried to focus our efforts in finding the right mix of that in the last few years you know we have a content output deal with a partner that is 300 hours of content a year and what we're trying to do is figure out how much of that is our core journalism how much of that is vice news tonight and showtime And how much of that is something that we can commercially sell and make a profit off of um, that still aligns with our brand, that still aligns with our values. Uh, And that has been a real challenge, though, I think, you know, working through that and kind of doing the same thing of experimenting and figuring out what the market wants from us um, that is commercially viable has been an interesting process. You know, we put together a documentary last year called The Big Squeeze, Um, on the GameStop GameStop chaos, and that did really well. We put out that feature doc um, pretty quickly, faster than really anyone else went to market. And what we found was we managed to sell it across the world. And so that was a great example. The other good example, I'd say, was um, our first foray into kind of true crime, uh, a series called Small Town Secrets that wound up airing on Vice TV, and we sold to several other markets globally. We've never done true crime before. And we kind of put our own spin on it. But it's a topic that's obviously hugely commercial because everyone wants to buy a true crime series. And we went into it knowing that, right? So the the conversation was, how can we do true crime that we know the audience wants, that we know global sales wants, but still make it feel very vice. And I think we succeeded in that. So that has been the the constant conversation what is the series that is commercially viable that people want to come to us for what is the documentary that we can make that people will really pay for um and, and make some kind of healthy uh, investment into so we are looking into different different areas of that certainly you know no one is going to come and give us tens of millions of dollars for our ukraine coverage um so that is our journalism, and you're right; it's very expensive. But that is the flagship. Those are that's our flagship content, and we will always do that. It's really just figuring out how can we then take this other bucket, make that very commercially viable to kind of fund the other, and make money on top of that.
0: Really, really interesting, Morale. Really appreciate you you, you joining. So there is a final question I ask everyone in the podcast. So what is it, if anything, that keeps you up at night?
1: so many things keep me up at night um i think press freedom disinformation keeping our team safe in the field um those three things are all the same really it's kind of the world in which we are doing journalism right now can be very scary and as an organization at vice we really put people in it and i think that is very stressful. And we certainly, it's amazing what our field teams do and want to do, right? They want to be there and be immersed in a story in order to be able to tell it most authentically. But in a in a world where you see the persecution of journalists constantly, you see press freedom stripped away, you see very scary instances of people being harmed in a very real way. I think that's that's the scariest thing for journalism overall and certainly what keeps me up at night.
0: I really don't think we can underestimate some of the threats which exist to journalistic freedom and I think morale's final thoughts will resonate with many of us. Thanks again to her for joining us on the podcast. So many interesting points you raised too, so please make sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And as always, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to get notified when new episodes are out. Check out the show notes for a series of articles about a recent DPP report on the future of news. Lots of fascinating insights there, and a link to another podcast where Avid's chief executive, Jeff Rosica, shares his thoughts on the major challenges facing the media business. That's all for this episode. We are going to take a break now for the festive season and will return in early 2023 with more insightful episodes. I'd like to thank the whole production team behind the podcast, Matt Diggs, Owen Lynch, Vim Vandenbroek and Greg Chin for all of their work. Thanks again to Morale, but also thanks as always to you for all of your support. We're now heading into our third year of the Making the Media podcast, giving you a behind the scenes look at the challenges the industry is facing. My name is Craig Wilson. Thanks a lot for listening.